Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Omar Bourne. And I'm Christina Farrell. And you are our listeners. And as always, we thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can. So feel free to add Prep Talk to your favorite RSS feed. You can follow us on social media on our Twitter at NYC Emergency MGT, Facebook, or Instagram. On this episode of Prep Talk, Deanne Criswell, the new commissioner here at New York City Emergency Management, joins us. Commissioner Chriswell is a nationally recognized leader in the emergency management field with more than 25 years of experience in federal, military, and local government response. She has also spent time in the private sector. Commissioner Chriswell spent six years at FEMA. She is also a retired member of the Colorado Air National Guard, where she served 21 years as both a firefighter and deputy fire chief. In addition, she worked for the city of Aurora, Colorado, and served as that city's emergency manager. But before Commissioner Chriswell joins us, it is time to give our listeners the latest hot topics in the emergency management field. Here's your Prep Talk Situation Report. This is the Situation Report. Let's get started. Thank you, Christina. Now, July is Disability Pride Month here in New York City. Its mission is to promote inclusion and awareness of people with disabilities to redefine public perception. At New York City Emergency Management, we work closely with members of the disabilities, access and functional needs communities to ensure that they are prepared for a host of emergencies. To learn how we do that, you can visit nyc.gov emergency management. Don't forget, New York City's annual Disability Pride Parade is Sunday, July 14th. Our staff and community emergency response teams will be participating. If you're in town, come out and support. We gather at Madison Square Park at 10 a.m. on that Sunday, and the parade proceeds down Broadway to Union Square Park beginning at 11 a.m. This is a great parade, and we encourage everyone to come out and support. Definitely. I'll be there. I know a lot of our staff will be there, so everyone should come out. It's a very inspirational morning. Switching gears, New York City officials have declared a climate emergency. It is all to mobilize local and national responses to address global warming. The New York City Council passed the resolution calling for an immediate response to the global climate crisis. More than 670 governments in 15 countries have declared climate emergencies, according to data from Innovation for Cool Earth Forum. In May 2019, England became the first national government to declare a climate emergency. From climate emergencies to my favorite topic, summer. Summer, as we all know, is here, and Tesla is looking out for your furry friends. Now, each year, hundreds of dogs die from heat stroke as a result of their owners leaving them inside a vehicle while running an errand. The company, Tesla, has released a dog mode feature that aims to keep unattended pets inside a vehicle at a comfortable temperature. So how does it work? The dog mode keeps the AC on even if the vehicle is turned off. There is even a message that reads, my owner will be back soon. Don't worry, 
the AC is on for anyone who is concerned if they're walking by. The temperature is also displayed on the screen in the vehicle. Not a bad idea at all. It's also worth noting that the message will update depending on whether the vehicle's climate control calls for heating or for cooling. So if you're a fan of Tesla, I encourage you to go out and, and buy a Tesla and keep your pet cool this summer. One more reason to check out a Tesla. There you go. I will also say from personal experience that I will be super excited when Tesla figures out a way to get my dog happily into the car. <laughs> That's going to be uh, the next feature. Yeah, yeah, that would be a super helpful feature for me. Last but not least, we will talk about one of our other favorite topics, hurricanes. It's hurricane season. So what is the most dangerous element of a hurricane? If you guess high winds or storm surge, you're wrong. The answer is rain. That's right. In the past three years, rain has pushed aside storm surge to emerge as the leading cause of death in hurricanes. According to the National Hurricane Center, about 75% of the 162 fatalities in hurricanes and other tropical cyclones striking the U.S. over the past three years were caused by rain-induced flooding, with most victims drowning in or near their vehicles. The fatalities occurred in a series of particularly wet hurricanes that set state and national rainfall records, including Hurricane Harvey in 2017 and Hurricane Florence in 2018. Unlike storm surge, which affects areas near the ocean, torrential rains can cause widespread damage deep inland. Currently, the system for classifying hurricanes relies solely on wind speed. Experts say this emphasis on wind carries over to the public, where there continues to be a lack of appreciation for the risks posed by rain and inland flooding. Yeah, that's a very interesting story, Christina, because when you think about hurricanes, you don't necessarily think about, you know, rainfall. A lot of people discuss and talk about storm surge. And when you look at Harvey back in 2017, that dropped 60 inches of rain, you know, in parts of Texas. There are many hazards that you have to beware. Of. Right. And I mean, when you're talking about diverse climates, you're talking about Florida and Texas and New York mm -hmm. and lots of other states in between. They have very different climates. They have different topography. So I don't think there's an easy answer. I think storm surge, wind, rain, you know, other other hazards come into play. And I think the overall message is hurricanes are no joke. Uh, when called to evacuate, you need to evacuate and you need to prepare well in advance. Yep. Prepare for all hazards. And that is our mantra. <laughs> we will keep saying it. That's right. And that is the situation report. Still to come, we will be talking with the new commissioner of emergency management here in New York City, Deanne Criswell. But first, here is a public service announcement from New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When hurricane winds are gusting? When floodwaters reach your door? Or a blizzard blocks all the roads? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Make your emergency plan today. Go to nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. You are listening to Prep Talk, and we are back. On today's episode, we're talking to Deanne Criswell, Commissioner here at New York City Emergency Management, Commissioner Criswell, thank you for joining us and welcome to New York City. Thank you. You have a wealth of experience in emergency management. What sparked your interest in the field and how did you get started? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I uh, worked for the city of Aurora in Colorado for 17 years. Um, I started out as a firefighter there working in um, the training academy at some times, as well as on the hazardous materials team. And then the position for emergency management opened up. And I worked with my fire chief and convinced him to let me try out for that job. And I just fell in love with it. It Mm -hmm. was a whole new um, type of work. It was a new discipline that was growing. I really liked the collaboration that we were able to build among the departments, working directly with individuals to help them in preparing for emergencies, as well as assisting them during and after an emergency head struck. You know, I also like the training and exercise that is so important to this field and really helping us become more ready for disasters. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you've been the primary federal representative responsible for leading FEMA's response to and recovery from emergencies and major disasters. So how have those experiences shaped your outlook uh, on the field? Yeah, I have had a great career and have been able to go all over the place and incredibly lucky to be able to have served so many Americans in some of their darkest hours. Um, I coordinated FEMA's response to flooding events in North Dakota and West Virginia. Um, I responded to hurricanes in South Carolina, as well as wildfires in Colorado. Um, And I've been able to see the power in bringing the resources and services directly to those most affected, meeting them where they are, Mm -hmm. giving them assistance where they are and when they need it. And over the past decade, FEMA has been able to innovate the services it offers as well, such as assisting people to register for disaster assistance online on the spot. Um, And I think that is really vital as we continue to try to find new and innovative ways to help people in a coordinated manner that does not add to their anxiety, but it really helps them get the services they need. In emergency management, we talk about the whole community approach to preparedness. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of building relationships within communities and blue skies times? which is what we refer to the times before and in between emergencies. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in a city um, as resource-rich as New York City, we have so many opportunities to engage organizations and institutions. And I know that the team at New York City Emergency Management has already built many partnerships across the city's robust private sector, um, the faith-based sector, as well as voluntary organizations, academic institutions, and other sectors. And I can't stress enough how important it is to nurture these partnerships and relationships and make them mutually beneficial. And and while I'm here, what I want to do is build upon the work that has already been done and strengthen those relationships. You know, I spent about a month here in the city's emergency operations center during the response to Hurricane Sandy. And the one thing I quickly learned is that New York City is really a collection of individual neighborhoods. You know, New York City Emergency Management visits these neighborhoods 900 times a year sharing emergency preparedness materials through our Ready New York program in multiple languages. And we also engage New Yorkers through our Community Emergency Response, or CERT teams, as well as local organizations through our Community Planning Toolkit. We need all members of the community to have a role in preparing their communities, as well as helping to lead the recovery after an event. And I like the fact that you talk about whole community approach. You mentioned CERT. Uh, We talked about Ready New York. And I know you've also mentioned wanting to work with the private sector. So can you walk our listeners through uh, how you would like to engage the private sector with emergency management here in the city? Absolutely. You know, there's been so much work done here recently on 
really trying to create a more holistic approach to responding to disasters and a much more deliberate effort to include the private sector in that. Mm-hmm. You know, the private sector has, um, what is the statistic, about 80% of our critical infrastructure. Yep. And so it's really important for us to be engaging with them on a regular routine basis to One, understand what their needs are during an event and how we can help them get back online faster, which means that they can help uh, citizens faster. Mm -hmm. But many of them also have resources that they want to be able to um, provide during an incident response as well. They have staff that want to be able to deploy. They have resources that they can deploy. And it's really important to really understand, you know, how we can help each other both ways uh, to make a much more efficient response and get citizens the things that they need um, as quickly and effectively as we can. I like that. Yeah, I'll say definitely, uh, you know, being through a few emergencies here, working with our public-private emergency support function um, upstairs in the EOC, uh, you know, it, it's just as important the information that we'll get back from the private sector. We engage the colleges. We engage restaurants, real estate, airlines, and, you know, sometimes they have access to information or to resources, like you said. Um, They may have dealt with some type of emergency in another part of the world. So, you know, just like we like to share information with them and bring it out, it's really been helpful as they can bring information back to us. So, um, you know, that's definitely something that we can always expand. And, um, you know, there's a a pretty large, if not the largest private sector here right in the city. Oh, absolutely. So I think the possibilities are endless. Yeah. And I'm really excited to really to start engaging the private sector here within the city. And it it was exciting for me to see that we have a private sector ESF here, um, which is something that FEMA has just been in the process of adding into the national response framework. And so, I think it's going to be great to um, build upon what we've already done here at New York City Emergency Management and start to implement that moving forward. Yeah, and and for our listeners who may not be familiar with uh, emergency management, ESF is the emergency support function, the emergency support function. You have a wealth of knowledge. So what are you looking forward to as the new commissioner here at emergency management? Oh, I'm looking forward to a lot of things, um, but mostly right now I'm excited to really build on all of the work that the team at New York City Emergency Management has already done. Uh, there are countless opportunities to increase situational awareness during emergencies by using data more strategically, uh, by analyzing that data and identifying trends to help improve decision making. And I'm also really looking forward to joining the Big City Emergency Managers Group. It's always a great idea to learn from your peers and to see what innovative ideas you can borrow from other jurisdictions. And so we can continue to learn from each other and really help grow the discipline of emergency management nationwide. Yeah. Shout out to big city emergency managers. I just finished up the conference uh, in Boston uh, back in March, and uh, that was the Emerging Leaders Conference. And, you know, that's a great opportunity for uh, people in the field to really network and, as you said, commissioner, learn from uh, those in other jurisdictions, see what they're doing and how we may be able to implement those strategies here in New York City. Yep. Um, and we uh, so before Boston, we hosted back last October in New York mm-hmm. and we actually did a podcast with Barb Graff from Seattle, who's the chair person and um one of the emergency managers from Chicago. So we'll look back in our archives and find that so you can uh, learn a little bit from your peers before you even join them at the next meeting. Uh, Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to meeting with all of them. 
So we've talked a little bit about your experience, about what you're looking forward to. Um, but, y- you know, you're new to New York uh, to be here full time. What's something that you want our listeners to know about you? Yeah, so I'm coming here with my three-year-old golden retriever who's named Wilson, um, <laughs> named after the volleyball um, from the movie Castaway. <laughs> And I really just love spending time outdoors with him. And I'm looking forward to exploring all of the beautiful parks that New York City has um, and seeing what they have to offer when I'm not working. And I'm going to ask the bagel question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and for those who are listening, I asked the question because we went out. uh, Pat Kiernan from New York One actually asked the bagel question uh, in your first interview here in Mm -hmm. New York City. Uh, So have you found the bagel spot as yet? (laughs) You know, I still have not had time to find my own bagel spot, but I have faith that I am going to get great bagels here from the staff and they're going to direct me in the right direction. We're not going to steer you wrong, no. <laughs> uh, and then the, the question that we like to ask all emergency managers when they come on the show, what keeps you up at night? You know, New York City um, is vulnerable to so many different threats. And so I think what really keeps me up at night is those black swan incidents. Uh, that book, The Black Swan and the Theory of the Black Swan is something that you know, I've been really interested in and studied since my time at the Naval Postgraduate School, which mm-hmm. is where I was introduced to that. You know, and it's those events that we just don't think are possible. We don't think about them happening ahead of time until then they actually happen. And mm-hmm. then we have to respond to them and they have to think about how we would have planned and prepared differently. So it's those type of black swan events um, that are really the ones that, you know, how do you plan for what you don't know? Right. So that's a very good question. How, how do you, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I think the biggest part of that is you you plan for what you do know, right? right. And you do the risk-based planning and, and that will lead into those types of events that um, become new, right? Something mm-hmm. that we haven't responded to in the past. And, and you build off that baseline that you've been doing all along during those blue sky days that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So um, one thing I remember from, from back in my career is that um, for those of us that are old enough to remember Y2K was like the hugest thing ever, yeah. right? And everybody yeah. was afraid. Everything was going to stop working, mm-hmm. even though we didn't have as much technology back then. Still, people mm-hmm. weren't going to receive their paychecks, all that. So the city um, had a big plan. We had a, a op center that everybody was in at New Year's Eve, the whole thing. And then, you know, the clock turned and, and there was no major consequences. But but all the city agencies, even ones that may not have been into emergency management back mm-hmm. in the late 90s, they all put plans together. Then, lo and behold, 9-11 happened. And so to look at citywide plans, really what was pulled out Mm. was the Y2K plans uh, because they talked Uh, about critical facilities. They talked about other things. And so, um, you know, it wasn't a perfect system. But like you said, people hadn't foreseen something like that happening in that way. And so we were able to take the plans that we had and we were so much better off than, than we would have been otherwise. Yeah, well said. When you look at the emergency management field and how evolved to your point with plans um you find more people now taking this up as something that you can study they're going to school for emergency management i came from communications the the news world really didn't have a a grasp on the emergency management field and just how much you can learn so how have you seen the field evolve over the years and and where it's going in the near future. You know, I think when I first started in um, 
in the fire department in Aurora, Colorado. Mm-hmm. You know, emergency management at the time, a lot of it was um, a grant right. Um, operation, right? Managing the different grants that were coming out from the federal government and putting together some basic plans, um, getting a little bit of involvement, you know, just to make sure that you were mostly maybe checking a box along the way, right? Just getting some basic awareness out there. But as we have seen that collaboration is the key to success, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about the whole community. We talked about all the different partners. And the way to do that is by collaborating better. And it's not about having um, ownership of something. It's about having that strategic understanding and knowing how to bring the right players to the table. And emergency management has really been able to take that to the next level. And that's really become the foundation of what emergency management is. It's that collaboration and that coordination entity. And we're seeing more and more training and education coming out that really helps to teach people how to to bring the right players together and how to understand and um, accept risk and get comfortable with risk so they can right. make better decisions. And so I continue to see that grow. And then the other part that I talked about um, earlier, too, is data-driven Mm decision-making. There's so much technology out there now that you can really create better situational awareness, um, better tools, identify trends, do analysis, so you can make better decisions, even if you have limited information. Because oftentimes you have to make decisions without all of the information. And so the more comfortable you are with risk and understanding the risk, Um, And the easier it is for you to make those decisions based on the data that you have. And then you adjust those as needed as more information comes in. Well said. All right. So now we are going to transition to the second part of the show. Uh, It's called Rapid Response Time. And if you're a first-time listener or a first-time guest, it's simple. Omar and I will ask Commissioner Chriswell a few questions, and she will give us the first answer that comes to mind. If you don't know, now you know. You're listening to Prep Talk. The Emergency Management Podcast. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response. What is one emergency item you cannot live without? Oh, one emergency item. Um, I'm going to say food and water. That's actually two items, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. food <laughs> and water are uh, essential for me. Uh, nobody wants to be around me when I get hangry. <laughs> I am definitely that Snickers commercial hangry, <laughs> and I always have a Snicker bar available to me whenever I need one. I agree. I agree because I am the same way. What are your hobbies? You know, I really love to be active and outdoors. Um, I have, re- in the last few years, gotten into doing triathlons, and I've actually completed three Ironman triathlons. Uh, one of my goals has been to do the New York City Triathlon, mostly because I want to say that I swam in the Hudson River. <laughs> um, it hasn't worked out for me timing, so I'm hopeful that while I'm here, I'll be able to accomplish that one and uh, check that one off my list. We'll make sure that, uh, that you can definitely get that one checked off. What is your favorite show or movie? Oh, definitely. I am a survivor geek. I have been watching it since it started in 2000. They just had their 38th season Mm -hmm. and I've seen every single one. And it changes so much that it's still interesting me and I can't wait for the next season to come out. Very popular. Yeah, no, I, I agree. My family, I've gotten my kids into it. My husband and I watch it. He actually went to school with one of the winners, the fireman Tom. Oh, really? Okay. uh, From like 2005. Yeah. So, but um, I agree that they can keep it fresh. And what I like now is the younger, the kids that were like five, six when it started. Now they're actually in their 20s going on the show. 
Um, so it's grown up as like a cultural phenomenon. So maybe we'll get a little survivor pool just for fun. <laughs> I think <laughs> so. Going in the office. But I could never be on the show because, again, I would get too hangry. And there you <laughs> yeah, go. The angry people yeah. get voted off early. Yeah. Very that early. Not, <laughs> that would not be helpful. Oh my. Uh, and then what is currently on your playlist? Oh, at the top of my playlist right now is Old Town Road. Oh. I absolutely <laughs> love that song, the mix of country and rap and the controversy that it seems to be creating, but it is catchy and I find myself singing it all the time. Little Don't ask X. me to sing it now. Well, I, I, so that was going to be my next question. I'm going to take I know we banned you from singing it. He always tries to sneak in the tunes. It's karaoke. I love karaoke. But no, that's a great, that's a great tune. Especially for summer. Yeah. (laughs) Summer beach kind of song. And the last question, very brief. Sum up the work you do in one word. Oh, that would have to be rewarding. Without a doubt. Very good. Seems like a great place to end. So we want to thank you for we know this week is busy. You're getting um, up to speed on everything, meeting everybody. Uh, But we and I'm sure our listeners want to thank you for taking the time. Um, and we know you'll uh, you'll be back on the podcast soon. So we'll thank you in advance. Great. Well, thank you very much for having me today and looking forward to more. That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.